What is up? Like, seriously. I question this all the time. What is up? I can't... I can't know what's up with all of you people. I can't know. You know? Because you don't communicate with me. Not all of you. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I don't communicate with the person who makes them. I don't try. I don't DM them on social media. That's weird. Don't do that. You know, if you're like... I don't know. What do you listen to? Joe Rogan? Don't DM him. Don't be like, hey man, I liked your most recent episode. Kind of weird, you know? Not something you should do. I don't do it. You shouldn't do it either. Unless you want to. Go ahead and DM me. I might slide in. I might. But I can't tell you. Welcome to the show. This is the state of the universe. I appreciate you being here. It's a show where I talk about things. And you listen to me talk about things. Or... Check this out. You watch me talk about things. Because that's an option now. On YouTube. Just search the state of the universe. Put spaces where they need to go. Put capitals where they need to go. Proper nouns, you know. And then you'll find it. Or go to thestateoftheuniverse.com and you can just link right to it. I appreciate you being here. Let me tell you, I'm fresh out of the, I'm fresh out of the ditch, is what they say. Fresh out of that d-i-t-c-h you know it was we got a blizzard here blizzard let me tell you what happens when you get a blizzard in upstate new york okay this is what happens the plow nah taking the day off the salt truck nah going on vacation the emergency vehicles nope staying inside so you know what happens me i go outside want to go to walmart don't know why i want to go to walmart but i want to go to walmart I need one item. Got to go to Walmart. Six miles away. Got to drive there. Here's the problem. There's so much traffic that the plows don't work anymore because everyone just drives over the snow successively as it falls. So you just get a new road. And the road, instead of being made out of asphalt and things that have friction, is instead made out of packed snow. It's like we live in the Arctic Circle. So all the snow is packed, and I'm driving... Like any normal person, and then there's a red light. What does any normal person do when there's a red light? Well, typically, I run the red light. I've run some bad red lights in my life. I'm so glad that the red lights I run don't have cameras. You know the cameras and they send you a ticket? Nope, not here. Don't happen. At least not the ones I run. Because I run some red lights sometimes where I get embarrassed that I have a license. And I don't mean to do it. My brain just doesn't react because I'm actually stupid right? And so my brain doesn't react in time. And it's just like, yeah, run it. Even if I'm two miles away, I run it. I don't get it. It's just something I do. Got to take these off, you know? And um, so I'm driving along, light turns red. What do I do? For some reason, I decide to stop. Well, stopping doesn't work on the road with no friction. You just keep going, right? You just keep going. But you don't go in a straight line. You go in a turning line. So I'm going, going, going. My front end wants to stop. My back end wants to go in the other lane. So I'm just sitting there like this. And then slowly the car is turning and turning and turning and turning until I'm sideways. But it doesn't stop there. It wants to take a U-turn. So it keeps turning and turning. And the car is turning and turning. And traffic's coming. And it's turning and turning. And I smash into a snowbank. Now, here's where the story gets good. I'm in the snowbank. Now I sit there. Time starts going slow. Everything slows down. I don't know what's going on. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, did anyone see me? 
Because this is embarrassing. Because even though it wasn't my fault, I still feel like it's my fault. It's like when you do something stupid when you're driving. What do I do? Um, sometimes I... Like if you turn without a turn signal. Because you don't know where you're going. You know, you're driving. You're doing 40 and a 15. And then there's a turn that you need to make. You didn't know you need to make because you didn't know where you need to go. So you just make the turn real quick. The person behind you gets pissed. Because they're also doing 40 and a 15. Like any respectable human. If you do 15 and 15, stop listening to this. So, I'm, I get nervous because I'm like, oh my god, what do all these idiots around me think right now? I just, you know, pulled a 180, smashed into the snowbank, and now I'm facing the wrong direction in the wrong lane. I'm facing at the traffic. So what do I do? I look around, I go, anyone see me? Yeah, people saw you, dummy. 400 people saw you. Okay, so what do you do? Well, here's what I do. I think I could sit here, I could wait, I could just relax, I could pretend I had an emergency, I could pretend I need to shit, and I get out of the car, run to the bushes or something, I could pretend all sorts of things, or I could own up to it, car did a 180, smashed in the snowbank, what do I do, put that car in drive, it was already in drive, it never left drive, keep the car in drive, and I just pull out. And take off into the opposite direction like a boss. Like I meant to do that. Like I was like, oh wait, I don't want to go to Walmart anymore. Let me turn around and go to Wegmans. Smash. Drive. That was, I just came out of that. I just survived that. And listen, that, that's not something a lot of people survive. A lot of people die. How many seniors do you think die every snowstorm? You know, their body just gives up. It's like, I can't take the snow anymore. I can't shovel. Might as well die. At least 12. At least 12 every snowstorm dead. And I could have been one of them, except I'm not a senior and I make my own rules on the road. Drive on the wrong side, take U-turns when I want to, slide into the bank, get stopped by the snow. It doesn't matter. That's actually the second time that's happened in my life where I could have gotten to a bad accident, but a pile of snow has saved my life. Second time. Never been in an accident with another vehicle. Only with myself and a deer one time. And I gave that boy a back cracking that he will never forget. I just cracked his back on my windshield and then he got up and left. That's that's the uh, that venison chiropractor, if you know what I'm saying. And um, I don't know, man. You know, sometimes when you slide out of control and you hit a bank, you just got to get up, get on your feet, and drive off. Because what else can you do? Sit there and look like an idiot? Imagine if you're the guy who calls 911 because he slid into a snowbank and all the 911 people tell you to do is pull away. There's not a dent on the car. It's fine. Just smashed a snowbank. Drove off. That's it. People probably laughed. They're like, look at that Muppet. Look at that dumb dumb. But I don't care, man. I made it out. But that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to tell you about my snowbank story. I'm here to tell you about black holes. I want to discuss black holes today. Because black holes are the one thing that... Someone asked me today, what got you interested in physics? What got you interested in astronomy? Because we were talking about shows that we watch. And I don't, I, I don't watch the Star Wars. I don't watch Battlestar Galactica. I don't watch, you know, fucking Star Enterprise... I don't watch any of that shit. I don't watch Pokemon. I don't watch Goku. Get it out of my face. I don't watch any. I don't watch Avengers. I don't watch it. 
sci-fi is not really my thing. But that's what got so many people in this field interested in this field, was that science fiction when they were kids. They saw the Starship Enterprise, they saw the Star Wars, they saw the Star Trek. They They saw it all. And then they were like, wow, that's really cool. What can I do to get involved in that? And then somehow they went down the dark, depressing path to become physicists, but not me. I didn't know I wanted to get into this until I was like 16, 17. I would never have wanted to do this. This never popped into my mind when I was 15, when I was 12. It ne- but something always interested me about astronomy and astrophysics, and I always consumed that material in the form of reading, never watching. I read Cosmos by Carl Sagan. I read all Stephen Hawking's books. Uh, I read the Neil deGrasse Tyson books. I read, you know, the other Carl Sagan books. I read, then started reading more technical stuff when I was in high school. And I consumed all this stuff. And the one thing that always interested me was black holes. Black holes blow my mind. Because, we'll talk about it later, but they're one object that you can't peer into to see what's going on, to try to understand it. You can only observe it from the outside. And very interestingly, it's the same thing that interests me about cosmology. That's the study of the beginning of the universe because you can only observe it from inside. You can't observe it from outside. You can't be an outside observer of the universe, of the formation of the universe, in the same way that you can't observe a black hole from inside. And that puzzling, that sort of very interesting way that you have to study these objects in order to learn about something that you could never physically observe, always caught my attention. Always caught my attention. So I got into the field, went through the undergraduate years, got my degree, etc. Now I'm studying black holes. And now that I'm studying black holes, and I have like a you know, a fundamentally decent understanding of them. I figured I would try to, uh, on this off week where I don't have a guest, try to bring the knowledge to you people. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation. We have some great guests coming up. We really do. January's been a slow month because all these academics are busy, preparing for courses or doing whatever it is they do, going on vacation, spending time with family, wrecking their car, like me. But, we got some fantastic uh, things lined up for February. Some guests that I, I really think you will all appreciate. So what is a black hole? What are they? Fundamentally, what is a black hole? It's one of the most interesting things in the entire universe. I think that people are naturally drawn to black holes. That's why they've been the subject of 4,500 documentaries. They're naturally interesting. Something really cool is going on here. Okay, but to fully understand a black hole, we'll go back to the formation of our understanding of black holes, all the way back to 1676, a long time ago, by a man by the name of Ole Romer, and that is definitely not how you say his name. It might be Ole Romer, it might be Ole Romer, but guess what? Don't care, you know? I don't give a shit. I grew up in a setting where no one knew how to pronounce my name, zero people, exactly zero people can pronounce my name. People call me Brenda. Had a lady at Starbucks the other day misgender me. Call me Brenda. You know what I did? I didn't complain. A lot of people should take notes. I had a, 
What what else? Brandon? People call me Brandon. Uh, what else? Brendan? It's not Brendan. It's Brendan. Brendan. It's not hard. Really, you just got to sound it out. I mean, what? Do we need to go back to first grade? And then the last name, Drackler. Oh, how do I say Dracula? Is it Dratchler? Oh, is it Dracula? <laughs> is it Dracula? It's not Dracula, dumb fuck. Um, it's Drackler. Okay, the H is a K. Drackler might be German, might be Austrian. I don't care where it's from. I don't spit in the envelopes and send them off to Twenty Three and Me. I don't give a shit. But I think it might be German. Drackler. Okay, you don't know how to pronounce my name. I don't know how to pronounce Ole Romare's name. But that's not important. The point is, in 1676, he analyzed the eclipses occurring on the moon Io, one of the Galilean moons. The Galilean moons have been the subject of tons of scientific advancements across the history of physics. They have taught us a lot. Not exact science, though. It's always, the Galilean moons always lead to insights that down the line becomes exact science. In this particular case, by studying the eclipses on the moon Io orbiting around Jupiter, Ole was able to come to a conclusion. The conclusion was that the speed of light was not instantaneous. Light does not travel from one point to the next instantaneously. Instead, it has a speed, a finite speed, a speed that we could ideally be able to quantify. He tried to quantify it. He's failed. He, I think the number he came up with was about 75% the accepted value of today. So he wasn't completely off. He was right in assuming that it was an incredibly high, high speed. Now, it wasn't until the late 19th century when James Clerk Maxwell, coming up with electromagnetism, which powers essentially everything we use today, he was able to, from an analytical standpoint, from a mathematical standpoint, not by observing IO, not by observing eclipses, not by making back-of-the-envelope calculations, but actually from an analytical perspective, from a first principles perspective, he was able to show that the speed of light is finite. Now, this is an incredibly important thing when we talk about black holes. It's important that the speed of light is finite. And the reason that it's incredibly important is because the very first idea of a black hole, a so-called dark star, was an idea put forth by a man by the name of John Michel Mitchell. Don't know. Guess what? Don't care. Okay, I think it's Michelle. John Michel. It's like the Patriots player, Michelle. Oh my god, my Patriots won yesterday. My Patriots won. What a game. Did you guys watch that game? Oh my god, both those games. That was the best conference championship Sunday in NFL history without a doubt other than the fact that the referees are the worst the dirt worst they literally could not be worse you could hire a random guy off the street who has never watched American football before and he will do a better job refing than some of these muppets that they have there now but doesn't matter the New England Patriots go to the Super Bowl so happy that's not the point John Michel, back in 1784, hypothesized something, okay? In order for me to elaborate on that, we'll first go through an interesting 
an interesting sort of exercise, okay? Imagine you have a ball. Like, I have this uh, co- this can of Zevia in my hand. Cherry Cola, Zevia, very good. Mm. Mm. The good thing about that is it doesn't have cancer sugar in it. Now, you drink Diet Coke, you know, you might as well uh, start chemotherapy. And you drink that, and you might be supposed to start chemotherapy, but I'm going to pretend that you're not supposed to. So I'm going to take another sip. Here we go. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good cherry cola. Now, anyway, imagine I have this cherry cola, right? And I throw it in the air. What happens if I throw it in the air? Other than the fact that I ruin my entire setup and all of my electronics and I break my MacBook. What happens? Well, what happens is it goes up some distance and it comes back down. Why does it come back down? Well, I'll leave it at one word for now, but we'll expand on it later. Gravity. Okay? That's why it comes back down. Now, what happens if I throw it at a faster speed? Well, it'll go higher, it'll come back down. But you could imagine that there's a speed at which I throw this thing that it will eventually leave the surface of the Earth completely. It won't come back down. It'll float off into space. And you can imagine this because you've probably seen a rocket launch. That's the idea behind a rocket launch. You propel a rocket to some speed such that it overcomes the velocity that we call the escape velocity. This is the velocity that a particle must achieve in order to escape the gravitational well of the Earth. Now, imagine I go to the sun, okay? I go to the sun, and I have this can of Coke, and I'm standing on the sun. Not, it's not Coke, it's cherry cola. Get it together. I'm standing on the sun, and I throw this thing at a fixed velocity. The same velocity that I threw it at the Earth. Say I throw it in the Earth, it goes up 2 meters, 6 feet-ish, comes back down. If I go to the sun and I throw it at the same speed, what will happen? Well, it'll go up, and it'll come back down, but it won't go up nearly as high. Why? Well, why is because you need to throw things faster if you're on the sun and if you're on the earth in order to achieve escape, in order for things to escape the surface, to float off into space. And that has everything to do with mass. The sun is much more massive than the earth. Now, instead, imagine that I have this can of Coke and I'm standing on some object and I throw it really hard, the hardest I can throw it, but it goes up and I can see it go, 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 and then it comes back down. Okay, well, let's see. What if I can throw it at very near the speed of light? Okay, so I try that. I throw it at very near the speed of light. Imagine I have some machine that can propel my can of cherry Coke up to the ceiling as fast as possible. Will it ever leave? Imagine I can throw it at the speed of light. And it goes up, 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 and it comes back down. Well, that's weird. Because what kind of object would have an escape velocity equal to the speed of light? That's a question that John Michel asked all the way back in 1784, which is insane to me. He asked that question. In 1784, he said, could there be an object that if you threw something at the speed of light, Not even that could escape. The cosmic speed limit, as fast as anything can travel, as fast as any matter can travel, can we throw something at that speed and have it not be able to escape? In other words, is there an object that emits light, photons, just like our sun, but that the photons travel up, 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 but they can't make it out, and then they fall back to the surface? 
he asked that question in 1784. He did some analytical work, some mathematical foundational work to try to answer that question using simple, simple mechanics. The stuff that is taught in classrooms all across high school and introductory physics in college. He asked that question. Is there an object like that? He called it a dark star. The reason he called it a dark star is because it, you wouldn't be able to see it. It would emit light, sure, but the light could never go away. These little, you could imagine photons as little balls. That's kind of what they were thought of back then. Little balls, and those balls would travel up, 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 and they carry with it light, but they can't escape. They reach a point and they fall back down. A dark star. It emits light, but the light can never reach the observer because it can't escape. <coughs> Forgive me. All the way back in 1784, that's hypothesized. That's brought, that's put out into the literature. Now, fast forward to today, and we don't have the idea of a dark star anymore because our fundamental understanding of light has changed. Okay? Now we sort of think of things differently in the world of general relativity. General relativity, published in 1915 by Albert Einstein. We're just past 100 years. And I'm sure you saw tons of things. Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity survives 100 years, and it passes all these tests, and it's such an amazing thing. And it is. I work on it. I don't understand it. You know, I try to understand it. I work towards it every day. I wake up. I say, you know what? Today I'm going to understand general relativity. You know what I do? Don't understand it. You know what I do? Go to bed. Wake up the next day. Try again. Fail. It's okay. We keep coming back. It's a tough subject. Okay? But it taught us something important. It taught us that space-time is a very, very interesting thing. It's not just a flat surface upon which things sit. Instead, you can think of it more of a sheet. And people who study general relativity tend to hate this analogy because it really doesn't do general what's going on justice. But it's good, I think. I like it. Imagine you have a sheet and you're stretching it out and you have four people holding one of the corners tight so it's a flat surface. What happens if you put a marble on it? Well, the middle deflects a little bit. Tiny bit, ever so slightly. What happens if you put a bowling ball on it? Well, the middle deflects a bunch more. And you guys could try to pull it as tight as possible, but the bowling ball's too heavy. It's still going to cause some deflection in the center of the sheet. As you put progressively heavier things on it, what happens? The sheet drags lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. Okay? You could think of a black hole instead of thinking about it as a star that emits light but is so massive that the light can't escape the gravitational well. You can instead think about it as a sheet with your friends stretching it across. But that the mass you put on it, it isn't a bowling ball, it isn't a marble. Instead, it is something so massive that it makes the sheet deflect so deep that nothing could ever have the energy to climb out of that well. Not light, not some supersonic nuclear blast that you could create and put on a rocket. Nothing could ever, ever escape the well that is caused by that object. And that object we call a black hole. Now the problem with the sheet analogy is of course that black holes aren't two-dimensional. They're not just a deflection in some sheet, okay? 
They're three-dimensional objects, which makes you sort of have to imagine the deflection of space-time as a fourth-dimensional thing. It happens in a fourth dimension, and your brain says, oh, what's happening? Of course, my brain does that too. Okay, but the sheet analogy uh, also fails in another way. And it's that it's not only important that we talk about mass when we talk about black holes, okay? Now, mass is important, and all the black holes we find are incredibly massive. But that's not the only feature. What's really important is density. You know, how much mass is packed into how much space? Really dense objects have tons of mass packed into tiny, tiny space. A bunch of mass stuffed into very small volumes. That's what truly makes a black hole. Think about a, a star. What keeps a star from just falling in on itself and blowing up and disappearing? What stops it? Well, what stops it is that the star wants to collapse. It has gravity pulling in on it. The star, the sun, it wants to. It wants to be a really tiny blob. Every single area of the star, if you have a big sphere, every area wants to go towards the center so bad. It just wants to fall in. But why can't it? Well, it can't because the sun is made up of stuff. And you can't just compress all that stuff freely. Gravity's not strong enough. You have pressure from within pushing you out. A black hole forms when that pressure from within cannot overcome the force of gravity. So imagine all of a sudden the gas that makes up the sun couldn't hold it up against the pressure pushing down on it, you know? It's sort of like a, a balloon. If you take a balloon, right? If you squeeze a balloon, why doesn't it burst? You just put a little bit of pressure on it. It doesn't burst. Why? Well, because you're putting pressure on it, but it's also pushing back on you. There's, there's pressure within the balloon. The air inside is pushing on you. It says, no, don't compress me any further. I can't compress. Don't compress me. You can't. What happens if you keep pressing and you keep pressing, it pops, okay? A black hole would be if you could take that balloon and instead of it popping, you compress it down smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and so small down to the size of an atom, even smaller than the size of an atom. And you take the balloon and you squeeze it as small as it can go. You might very well, in this fantastical universe I'm creating, be able to create a black hole out of that balloon if you take its mass and you squeeze it into the smallest of volumes. Some people, when they describe black holes, they say infinite density. But that's not kind of that's not completely correct. You can't really say infinite density. That doesn't make much sense to people. In order for you to say infinite density, you need to know something about how big the black hole is in terms of radius. But we don't know much about what's inside. Is there an object in there? Does it have some radius? Is it like a dark star? Is there a star in there made out of some material that we can't possibly fathom? And it's emitting light, but the light can't climb out of the well that general relativity tells us exists. Does the light get redshifted out of existence? What happens? What happens to that light? Or is it not that at all? Is it a singularity? Is it some mathematical concept where density really is infinite? We don't know because we can't look inside. Something prevents us from looking inside the event horizon. The event horizon, you could think of as, before when we were talking about uh, John Michel's 
Dark stars. The event horizon is the point that the photons, traveling at the speed of light, reach the apex and they fall back down. That distance, we would call the event horizon. Now, it's not as simple when you study real black holes because real black holes tend to rotate and they tend to be electrically charged and they tend to have all these features about them that make the event horizon sort of a hard thing to study or wrap your mind around. But in the simple case, where the star isn't charged and it's not rotating, it's just sitting still in space and it's spherically symmetric, that's the idea. That's the point at which the photon, if it were a ball, if it, you could think of it in this analogy, that's the point that it would turn around and come back towards you if you were standing on the surface of that object. Now, in reality, the event horizon, like I said, it's not easy to compute, and the event horizon is the thing that prevents us from learning about anything going on inside of the black hole in terms of what's happening inside of there. We can't answer that question because nothing can cross the event horizon from the inside. You can't look through it with a telescope. You can't get any electromagnetic signatures out of it. It's not going to emit radio waves. It's not going to emit gamma rays. Okay, now there's some finicky stuff going on with Hawking radiation that I won't talk about today. But for this exercise, you just imagine it can't emit anything. There's no way for you to see what's going on inside. And even Hawking radiation doesn't give you an idea of what's going on inside. It just sort of makes you question that whole what can a black hole emit scenario. Now, at first, all of the stuff I'm telling you was questioned, okay? We were able to, through general relativity, produce the same first principles calculation of the event horizon that John Michel was able to do back in 1784. The same calculation. It's amazing that something as complex as general relativity that Albert Einstein spent a decade developing and, and even longer developing special relativity, which is a... a case, a special case of general relativity, okay, it's amazing that that can reproduce the same calculations that were made in 1784 by just imagining a ball being thrown up at the speed of light and coming back down to the planet or the star that you're standing on, okay? Now, at first, black holes, they weren't really taken serious when general relativity was sort of put out there. The reason they weren't taken serious isn't because you couldn't imagine one existing, although that was certainly it. We couldn't, we really couldn't wrap our head around the idea of a singularity, of an infinite density, of having some object out in space that you can't peer into, and maybe it's just a, a mathematical formulism that we don't quite understand yet. We don't have the mathematics to attack it. It can't be physical. How could something with infinite density be physical? That doesn't make any sense. It boggled the minds of astronomers. But we started to develop our theory about black holes a little more. We started to realize, wait a minute, maybe there are ways that we can detect a black hole. And along the way, we started to come up with different compact objects, things like white dwarfs, things like neutron stars. And then we started to think, wait a minute, maybe there is these ultra-dense objects that we could find a way to detect their existence. And in 1967, by accident, Jocelyn Bell detected a neutron star, which is essentially the most dense object you could ever get that isn't a black hole. 
It's a giant ball of neutrons, and, and I have some figures written down here to sort of give you an idea. Uh, these things, they can be like two times the mass of the sun, okay? But in, packed into something that's 12 kilometers across. Just tons of mass packed into a really small radius. That's what we mean by high densities. Now, can we get denser than that? We sure can. We can get a black hole. But is a black hole just some mathematical idea? Is it real? Can we detect it? Well, it turns out we can. Okay, in our galactic center, we have observed something called S2. It's a star, okay? And something very special is going on with the star. It's orbiting around the center of the galaxy. And over a decade, we were able to track its orbit. We were able to analyze it. How fast is this thing orbiting? How far away from the galactic center is it orbiting? And we can look at it. We can monitor it. Week after week with our telescopes, we can track its orbit around whatever's at the very center. And what we find, using very simple calculations, using calculations that were derived from first principles back in the classical days of physics, you can learn something about the thing that S2 is orbiting. Whatever that may be. Because if you know the period of the orbit, and you know the distance away from the center of the orbit, what we call the semi-major axis, that will teach you something about the mass around which the object is orbiting. Kepler's laws, right? Any int introductory physics student learns about Kepler's laws. Any introductory astronomy student learns about Kepler's laws. We can utilize those to come up with a mass. How massive is this thing at the center of the galaxy? Well, it turns out that at the galactic center, S2 is orbiting an object that is within the range of 4 million times the mass of our sun. 4 million times the mass of our sun packed into the very center of our galaxy. And we know that it has to be packed into a really small region. A region that's about 100 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. So you have 4 million times the mass of the Sun packed into a space only about 100 times the distance between the Earth and us. The Earth and the Sun. The Earth and us. Am I dumb? I might be dumb. I am dumb, you know? But it's okay. So something is there. Something very important is there. Because S2 is not just orbiting around empty space. That's not how orbits work. It's orbiting around something. And that something is incredibly massive and incredibly dense. But what is it? And how can we learn anything about it? How can we probe it? We just look at it. Oh, look, there's a, there's a blank spot in our plots. Oh, look, we took a picture of the galactic center. We don't see anything. Cool. Move on. No. Because at the same time that all of these breakthroughs were happening in physics, all of these understandings and black hole mechanics were, were being evolved. Something else was being evolved too. And that something else was our observations. We're looking at the universe with all these different sets of eyes, radio telescopes, x-ray telescopes, ultraviolet, the optical, the infrared, the microwave. We're out, we're out there scanning the universe, all parts of the sky. And we start to come across something that we called quasars. That's a name we give them. It means like quasi-stellar object or something. We were looking at them. They were incredibly bright, incredibly energetic, 
but we didn't know what they were. We didn't know. We hypothesized it could be that, it could be this, it could be something else, it could be a merger, it could be, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But it turns out that quasars, what they actually are, what we could actually learn about them, is that they are supermassive black holes in the center of galaxies. And the reason they are so bright is because they are feeding on the material around them. They are sucking in the gas and dust in their neighborhood, sucking it in, and in the process, through some mechanism that isn't fully understood, they form jets, these large jets. And these jets are essentially just magnetic field tunnels, giant tunnels constrained by magnets. So that material gets sucked into the tunnel and it gets shot out of the galaxy at incredibly high speeds. Not the speed of light, but incredibly high speeds. And we can detect that emission. We can detect the stuff that's shot out. Specifically, we can look at it in the radio with radio telescopes. If you look at a sky map in the radio, you see tons of bright objects. They're not stars. They're quasars. There's hundreds of these things that we were detecting all over, everywhere. What could they be? They're supermassive black holes at the center of massive galaxies, just like our Milky Way. Now, that's incredibly interesting because that led to some developments in the field where we now believe that every galaxy harbors within its center a supermassive black hole. Now, of course, there's going to be some guy out there, this guy, he's going to say, that's not true, we haven't mapped every galaxy. I hate you, bro, you know? And if you're a female, I hate you too. Because it seems to be the case that every massive galaxy around the size of the Milky Way or bigger harbors within its center a supermassive black hole. Millions to billions, and I think we've even detected ones that are trillions times the mass of our sun. Incredibly massive objects. But you can't see into them. They're black holes. You can only infer that they're there because they interact with their environment. Okay? And, and I'm not saying that the black holes suck in the galaxy. My God, when people... When people get this idea that the black that our the Milky Way's black hole just sucks everything in, nope, wrong, you suck. That's not what happens. Black holes don't just go mercilessly sucking everything in. Okay, if the sun were to be replaced with a black hole tomorrow, and that black hole weighed the same as our sun, one solar mass, you would not even know, except for the fact that it wouldn't be very bright here on Earth. And it wouldn't be very warm. But you wouldn't get sucked into the black hole. We would still go orbiting about, just like normal, round and around and around. Nothing would change in that regard. But, people would get this impression that black holes just... In science documentaries, they don't do it any favors. Right? Uh, like, when I was... Let me see. When I was watching... Uh, well, what was I watched? Like, Cosmos or something. Some documentary about space, like, two years ago. I got all scared because of these uh, super Kilanova explosions. They were talking about Kilanova. These giant explosions we've never seen before. They shoot off jets in every direction, and they're so energetic, and if they hit you, you die. Okay, there's no Kilanovas going off near us. But that documentary had me convinced that that was a possibility, that I was just going to get hit with this Kilanova burst. It's just going to take out the Earth, wipe us out. No, that's not going to happen. In the same way that 
black holes aren't just going to suck you in. There's not just going to be a black hole that shows up where Venus is and it's going to pull you in. That's not going to happen. Okay? And also, you are very, very far away from the galactic center. So even if that black hole was pulling stuff in, you have a long way to go. And you should probably worry about getting your life in order, whoever you are, before you worry about a black hole sucking you in. I don't know what just happened. Computer broke? Maybe. Don't know. All of a sudden, things started happening. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Okay? The question at hand was, is there other ways in which we can learn or study a black hole? What's going on with them? Well, one of the ways is gravitational waves. I'm sure you've heard about gravitational waves. I could do a whole show on that. But I've already talked for an hour, so I don't want to go into depth on gravitational waves. But I'll say this. When two black holes merge, what tends to happen is that they have an in-spiral. They spiral around one another really, really, really quickly. Neutron stars do the same thing. Spin around really fast. Orbit really close together. And that orbit literally causes ripples in space-time. You could imagine on the sheet we were talking about earlier, if you take two bowling balls and you spin them around one another on your sheet, your sheet, it won't just sit there. Those balls won't just move around one another. You will have ripple effects. Or, if you prefer, you can imagine dropping a bowling ball into a pool. What will happen? You'll have waves sort of radiate outwards. Now, these analogies aren't perfect, but I think that they capture what's happening at a decent level. Okay? And it's possible. Well, it's not possible. It's, it's, it's been done. We're able to detect gravitational waves from black holes that spiral around one another and eventually merge. That's what LIGO has done. That's what future observatories will do. And we'll be able to learn properties about black holes in this way. So we know that there's supermassive black holes. They exist at the center of the galaxy. We know that there's intermediate mass black holes, things that are hundreds or 10,000 times the mass of our sun. We've been able to detect, we think, we've been able to detect some, near the galactic center, near the massive black hole at the center of the Milky Way. We know that there are black holes near the mass of our own sun. We detect them through gravitational waves. There might even be tiny, tiny, tiny black holes. Micro black holes created in the formation of the universe itself. Those have been theorized for a long time. How you would detect one, that's a little more iffy. But the, there's been theories put together, like maybe gamma ray bursts, some gamma ray bursts that we detect. Could these be micro black holes? I don't know. Frankly, no one does. So what is inside a black hole? What happens when it sucks matter in? That's a fantastic question. I hinted at something very interesting personally to me at the beginning of this episode. I said, a black hole... You cannot observe the inside from the outside. You can't. Well, in the universe, you can't observe the outside from the inside. You can't. You're constrained. Are those two things connected? Could it in fact be that the formation of a black hole spawns a whole new universe inside the black hole? Is that a possibility? It's been proposed. 
But we don't know. What about a white hole? You know what a white hole is? A black hole is something that that it pulls everything in and it keeps it constrained. Nothing can stay, nothing can be outside of it once it has gone inside of it. God, can I use words? What I mean to say is once something is inside of it, it cannot leave. Okay? A black hole is a one-way street. Okay? A white hole is a theoretical one-way street that works the opposite way. Instead of things falling into it, Everything falls out of it. Okay, and then people have said, well, maybe you have a black hole in this part of the universe connected to a white hole in another part of the universe. And the black hole pulls material in and the white hole shoots stuff out. Now, wouldn't we have detected that? Probably. You know? But there are are people out there who are, are working on understanding this. Recently, there's been some advancements in trying to understand black holes at a quantum mechanical level. What's going on there? Can that give us insights into gravity? Do infinite densities exist? Is a singularity a real thing? Is there really a point where the density is infinite? Where you have a, a mass packed into zero volume? Could that be a thing? It doesn't sound right. That'd be like squeezing the mass of my, my cherry cola here down to a point that is infinitely small. Is that possible? There are tons of questions to be answered in this realm. But there are tons we have already answered. And those lead to insights that are incredibly interesting for the future of physics and the past. The fact that people in the late 1700s were hypothesizing about dark stars. And then 300 years later... 300? No, dum-dum. 200 years later, we're finding dark stars. But they're not dark stars. They're these mysterious, supermassive black holes, quasars, illuminating the sky and the radio. What are they? Well, they're supermassive black holes, we know. So there's all this wealth of information. We know black holes exist. We know we can detect them. What we don't know is fundamentally what's going on inside of them. Are they spawning new universes? Is our universe merely the inside of a black hole that exists in some parent universe? This is what attracts me to studying black holes. Is these questions. These are some of the most interesting objects. If not the most interesting object outside of the universe itself. That we could possibly look at. Boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. Check this out. I'm drink cherry cola. Here we go. Mm. That's good cherry cola. That's good cherry cola. You want to know what serendipity is? Here's what it is. So, I had my laptop recording the audio and the video and stuff for this episode. But, I have this new device over here that records it all on a separate drive outside of the laptop. That way, when this thing eventually breaks, I have it backed up over here. Now, what's so interesting is that the first time I use this thing, the file gets corrupted over here, which is, man, the universe has thrown me a, 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 a easy-to-catch ball there. What is an easy-to-catch ball called? 
in baseball. Is that even a thing? I don't think it's a thing. Not a curveball. It's not a, a... I don't even know any other balls. That's the only ball I know. A curveball. What else? A break. A breaker ball. A cue ball. Um, bouncy ball. What else is there? A, uh, a spiral ball. Um, I don't know any others. I think that's it. That's all I got. I appreciate you being here, people. Check out my Patreon account. I just redid it. I just redid it. I redid it. I redid the Patreon. It's completely brand new overhauled. New tiers, new awards, new everything. For $10, you sign up, tier 3, and you can receive gifts throughout the year. I'm going to be giving out gifts. God, that is gross. How gross was that? That's just disgusting. Why would I do that? You know why I did it? Because sometimes I just don't care. Don't care. So check out the Patreon. You can get all sorts of gifts from t-shirts to mugs to books written by the people I host on the show to surprise things. Now, signing up doesn't guarantee you'll get a gift. But every so often throughout the year, I'm going to use the money that you guys you give me to support this show. Both from Patreon and from other sources. And I'm going to try to put together nice uh, gifts, objects, uh, different sorts of things. And I'm going to randomly give them out to the people who, who are here when this thing is getting started. Okay? I appreciate that this December was the most successful month in the show's history. January is looking like it's going to match that. And February, with the guests I have coming on, is going to undoubtedly double the viewership. And that's what I believe. And I'm putting that out into the universe. You want to know why? Because I believe in the secret. Do you know what the secret is? It's a book that Oprah wrote or, or something. She did something. Oprah, Oprah stole your money. That's what the secret is. Oh my god. I saw some astrology post. I hate... You know what I actually hate? I hate astrology, but I can't forgive them because they're dumb. You know, it's like when a little kid asks you what is gravity. You don't get mad at him. You're just like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just not educated right now. But maybe down the line you'll understand. Astrologers, you just forgive them because they've already made it past two years old. They've already made it past high school and college, and they're just dumb. So you forgive them, right? It's like when I spun my car around and crashed into a snowbank, the people driving were like, look at this idiot. We forgive him. He's stupid, but we forgive him. And that's how I feel about astrologers. You're stupid, but I forgive you. There's still time to change. You can stop believing that retrograde motion of Mercury somehow influences your life. You can change that you think that Venus orbiting backwards around the sun when Mars is in Acapelago and Mercury is doing the backwards loop twist that you won't feel like you need to buy Epsom salt. You know? And so, with that being said, support the Patreon. Go on the YouTube. Subscribe and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud or Spotify or Google Play 
or wherever the hell else you listen to it. I appreciate you being here. I hope you gained some insight about black holes. If you have questions, you know how to get a hold of me. Fill out the contact me page, contact page on my website, go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Hit me up, send me a message. Hopefully I'll receive it, I'll get it, I can answer it on the show. Support the Patreon, you can ask questions through there too. And those questions I will definitely ask, answer on the show, on future episodes, with the guests, with whoever. Thanks for being here, people. I love you. I love you. When you whisper it, it's more... I love you. You know? When you whisper it, it's more like uh, personal, I think. And I, maybe it's just more creepy. But what's the difference between personal and creepy, really? You know? I don't. Thank you.